Are you in a state of recovery? Do you want more clarity and direction? Have you built your foundation and wonder what lies beyond recovery? Do you want to discover what you are truly capable of? And are you ready to discover your purpose, learn to overcome your limiting beliefs, and change your mindset? Are you ready to discover the key to living a purpose-driven life? When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, and strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost, but our journey doesn't have to stop there. This is the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. After overcoming my own 20-year battle of addiction to drugs and alcohol, I have now dedicated my life to empowering those in recovery to rewire their brain so they can change their story and enhance their recovery even further. Welcome to another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. So glad you could join me today. And as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking how grateful I am at how big the recovery community really is. How many people out there are clean and sober? How many people are recovering out loud and not hiding the fact that they're clean and sober anymore because the reality is is that it's nothing to be ashamed of. I think that so many of us struggle with different types of addiction. You know, it's not even just drugs and alcohol. And I think there's a lot of people out there that feel like they need the help, but you know, it's just that stigma that has come along with addiction. I'm just so grateful that the recovery community is as big as it is and that people are finally standing up and and just sharing the fact that they're proud to be clean and sober. And, uh, you know, I hope that one day, I know that there's big movements out there right now, but I hope that one day, you know, being sober is the new norm, right? That people don't feel like they have to go out and just get annihilated to have a good time because I know that, you know, lately, um, just because of the the fellowship of women that I have in my life, I mean, there's just nights that we get together and we laugh our asses off, right? And so I'm so grateful for the recovery community as a whole and just how amazing this life in recovery really is. Before we get into today's show, just a quick reminder Make sure you come join us from April 4th through April 8th. Head on over to the website, www.risebeyondrecovery.ca and get your ticket for the very first annual Rise Beyond Recovery Virtual Summit. There's over 25 speakers that you're going to hear their amazing stories. If you decide to buy a VIP lounge pass, you will have access to a gift from each and every one of them that will help you enhance your recovery. And if you don't have the 25 bucks, that is okay. You can attend the summit for free there. If you scroll down the website, there's a place where you can enter your name and email and you will be sent the information on how you can partake in this five day event. Amazing speakers. I'm telling you, come join us www.risebeyondrecovery.ca and I'll see you there. So speaking of the massive recovery 
community. Another friend of mine that I had met online is Jamie Star Crawford. Today, you will get to hear her story on how she overcame addiction, how she started her coaching business, and we talk about that mind-body connection, right? That trauma that is hidden in the body. And it's such a great chat. I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Jamie. So get out a pen and paper, take lots of notes and enjoy this episode. Welcome back. We are hanging out with my friend Jamie today. How are you? I'm excited to be here. (laughs) I'm super excited. I mean, I, you know, it's funny the the conversations before the interview, I I always remember after we start recording that I probably should record it because I could definitely edit some really good tidbits of information, but we're just going to have to, you know, get into the flow and whatever comes up today. So <laughs> why don't you do a quick introduction, let my audience know who you are and what you do today, and then we're going to go way back. Okay. Well, I'm Jamie Star Crawford. I'm human. I always like to begin there because, you know, what I what I do is something that I get the privilege of. But like, first and foremost, I'm a human. And that's important because the relatability between me and another person is how we relate to each other. And what I professionally do. (laughs) Um, I'm an integration life coach and I support people with navigating life. And moving from a place of inconsistency, um, insecurity, limitations, and disempowerment to a place of empowerment, choice, alignment. And I do it from a place of holistic perspective. So I work with a person's mind, emotions, body, spirit, their environment. And we look at the entire map and the perspective. And when we go, how is it? that I need to get from this point to that point, And we redraw the map. And so that's something that I've done for years with people. And it's probably the most exciting work that I do because every person's map is different. <laughs> so it's never the same two maps twice. Something I also work with is um, psychedelic integration with a uh, microdosing. So that's something that has been, uh, again, another privilege because of how much benefit it has done to the mental health realm, to people's creative expressions, to opening people up to a spiritual connection in such a way that they couldn't before and now they can. And what they can see now is so life-changing for people that I have watched miracles occur in a single session. So that to me is is amazing. Um, I create programs for women who are dealing with deeper traumas help them create tools on how to navigate through that so that they can become powerful leaders and powerful women and actually see that there's another side to things even as deep as abuse. So it's a privilege to be here. (laughs) Wow. And, you know, I love how you say everybody has a different map because it's so true. I mean, it's, you know, today in especially personal development, there's not a one size fits all. There's not a, let's just set some goals. And then January 1st, we're going to have at her for, you know, till February, March, when we just decide, okay, we're done. We can't maintain this consistency or willpower. And when you really 
take your own journey essentially. And that's what I help people. And we talked about purpose right before we started recording. It's a lot, that journey looks a lot different. That map looks a lot different. So I, you know, I always like to ask guests, what was life like growing up? Because I believe that we all have so such different journeys on how we arrived at this destination that we're today. And for myself, I had a really good upbringing, right? I didn't, I didn't experience a lot of trauma. I hung out, I spent a lot of time with my parents, but when I started drinking, you know, everything turned from black and white to color, right? It was vibrant. It was, I didn't have to feel my feelings anymore, but I think it's important that, you know, to end the stigma that people realize that we all have different paths of how we got here. It's not your stereotypical person that's homeless drinking vodka out of a brown paper bag, because that's not my story, right? But I've experienced a lot of the same lack of emotions, I guess we'll say, because that's really what I was numbing. So what did that look like for you? I I want to celebrate that you said that because a person's perception of what is more traumatic or worse than them can actually prevent a person from acknowledging what is needed to turn their life around. And you just said something very valuable, which is a central part for me. We are all human. And it doesn't matter the background, the condition, the circumstance. We feel the same emotions. We have different perceptions and different interpretations, but we still experience challenge, struggle, doubting ourselves, worry, frustration, irritation. We still want all of us want life to look a certain way. And then when it's not, we freak out. Like there, we all develop coping mechanisms, defense mechanisms, emotional repression. We shut down, we run, we fight. It's like, it doesn't matter if you plop us in the middle of Afghanistan or you're raised in Antarctica with the penguins. And and, and it's, it's not, it, we're human and we're designed with certain conditions. You know, so I love that you say that. And I love that you celebrate that because I hope that people who maybe invalidate their story can feel validated in the fact that, you know what, I can say that this is a challenge for me and I'm ready to actually talk about it. You know, so thank you for that. I think for me, uh, what comes up is the amount of expectation that was put on me as a kid. Now, I have done in my work of healing enormous amounts of reconstructing the story of my childhood because that was super important because for the longest time, my story was all men leave. <laughs> um, I'm never going to be good enough for my mom. I'm going to, uh, I, I have to be the best at whatever it is that I got to be the best at because if you're not the best, then you're not going to get the love because I only got the best from my parents when I made sure that I was on the best sports teams, you know? So it was, um, oh, and don't cry because your emotions are weak. And if you do show your emotions, you're dramatic. So there, there was this story that, that had been built as a kid that wrapped around it with a little bow. I made up at five years old. I don't matter. And so having dug that up, which is important to dig up the past, it made a lot of sense why I went into what I did. Now, again, since then, I look back and I'm really grateful that I was actually raised the way that I was raised. There were so many positive things that came out of that competitive 
nature. I have become a driven person, an ambitious person. I've become resilient and strong. I look at my mom now and I'm like, wow, thank you so much. And I'm so sorry that you didn't give yourself room to heal. I'm so sorry that you had to go through these things. And in your survival, you pushed me hard. You know, so I've done a lot of work on that. But growing up, it was almost kind of like I was pushing against my natural design. And that brought the most pain. My natural design is sensitive, emotional. I feel, think, and reflect very deeply in life. And having no space for that was like pushing down constantly what was true and real and genuine and authentic. And it was like putting pressure on this little girl in such a way that by the time I was 11, I was having anxiety attacks. I was in the, I was in therapy at nine, you know? So it was like in my poor parents, not understanding, like, I don't know what to do with her, put her in therapy, <laughs> but like having, you know, having that, that parental construct that was do better, be better. Why are you not meeting my expectations kind of pushed my little body into a state of disorder and dysfunction. And so by the time I was 12, all the way up until 25, it was depression the entire time. It was just like one giant state of depression. I was diagnosed bipolar. I was diagnosed uh, ADHD and all those different ways of navigating was all coping. The whole thing was coping. It was like, I didn't know who I was and who I was was clearly not working in the world working for my parents or working for getting what I thought was love. So I'm just going to disconnect from all of that. I'm going to put all the things that they don't like, and I'm going to put them over here. And then I'm going to only focus on doing that stuff because that stuff's going to get me love. Well, that disconnection right there costs so much disorder in my body that I started developing physical issues. I had hyperthyroidism when I was like 12. You know, so it's like I would develop migraines. I would develop all these different like problems in my my joints. There was, I, I think up until 32, I hadn't experienced one day without physical pain from the day that was like 14, I think. So there was this physical dysfunction and mental dysfunction, emotional dysfunction. And all of that combined especially with other certain things in my childhood, I, from seventh grade until freshman year, I didn't have friends. So there was something that happened in seventh grade where I felt a rejection. There was an experience of rejection. And so that isolation on top of the emotional repression, on top of the mental stuff going on, on top of the pressure, on top of, you know, like certain, you know, my stepdad left at that time. And so it was like, it was the, it was the mixture and the way that the mixture had manifested, it gave me this overwhelming sense of, I don't matter. I don't know how to get the approval of people. And now I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing it, not knowing. And so it was all of that setup. And I have to like draw attention to the setup because it's, it wasn't just one thing. It was the collection. It was, it was the story of it. It was 
not being addressed when it could have been addressed. It was not having the tools, not having the, the professional help, not having maybe a space of being understood. You know, so that's something that if I look back on it was exactly what I needed to do what I do now. <laughs> that entire process of not having that is exactly what built the purpose that I'm in right now. So that's, I think, important for anybody in recovery to understand that the upbringing is always part of the story of our testimony. It's always a part of like what it is that we have the opportunity to now share through our revival, through our redemption, through our, <laughs> our, our process of turning pain into purpose. You know, so that's that's a very long winded way of saying like <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't one thing. It was the collection of things. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of how I grew up in a very like umbrella way of saying, you know, what it was. And I used to like there's so many good points that you touched on that I was I was taking notes because it's it, a lot of what you said resonated with me as well. Right. It's my dad always pushing me hard. Right. Because he was actually told that he wasn't smart enough in school. And so he's like, well, I don't want my child to feel like that. So he would push me. And I, even though I can see where some of that disconnect was, that trauma, that it was like, now I'm a perfectionist and I have to do everything perfectly, or I don't want to do it at all. Right. It's also given me, like you said, that drive, that motivation to do things. And he is so unbelievably creative. And I watched him growing up, follow his dreams and go through a lot to do it, right? You know, the breakdown of their marriage and all this kind of stuff. But he still was focused on that purpose. And I think that really inspired me at the same time. It was like, look at him go. Like, there's all these roadblocks that happen. Now, you know, we talked about all the stuff. I mean, there's so many different ways that I think we cope, right? Drugs, alcohol, codependency, gambling, like all this stuff. So kind of what did that journey look like for you? And because I have it all too, and we were talking about how, you know, in recovery, like I've almost been 10 years sober now from drugs and alcohol, but I feel like a newcomer when it comes to codependency and food again. So <laughs> what, what did it kind of look like on your journey to a point where you decided, okay, I've stopped digging this bottom, like it's time to go up. Because really, we can't compare bottoms. If I would have done that in early recovery, I'd have been like, I'm out. You know, I didn't, I wasn't homeless. I didn't go through treatment. I'm very fortunate for that because it definitely could have gone that way. But I stopped digging at a certain point because I was spiritually bankrupt. So what did that look like for you? Oh my God. <laughs> I love that. I love that you just said I can't, I can't dig because I, I, I don't even know how to be here anymore. Like that's, 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 I don't know how to be in this life anymore. To be like, to me, spiritually bankrupt is like lacking the, the desire to even be a part of the life structure is lacking the desire to even wake up and participate. And that can't, that can't exist for a long time in a person. Like they're, they're going to have to choose something, you know, it's, it's going to be there be like, and, and here's something, <laughs> some people have a deeper bottom. Some people have a bottom that can go really, really, really deep. And I always find that they are the most resilient people and they just are resilient in the wrong direction. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
They're super resilient, super resourceful, super intelligent, like super strong people in the wrong direction. Yes. So they could go forever in that way. That wasn't me. I don't, I don't have a very strong bottom. It does it didn't take much to discipline me as a kid. It didn't. I just I I had to feel the pain really one strong time. Now, if I didn't feel the pain hard enough, and that was very true for my life, is that if I didn't feel the pain hard enough, then it wasn't strong enough to get my attention. And that's how kind of it was too. By the time, you know, I I was raised with a a Christian upbringing. And so I never tried alcohol until graduation night. (laughs) And and I was, yeah, I I maintained my uh, celibacy and, you know, until college, you know? So it was one of those things where I didn't have that, ooh, introduced at a party or, you know, I had an older neighbor that was drinking and, you know, like that wasn't me. That wasn't how I arrived there. I would say that maybe I would argue that in fact, because I now was introduced to it in college, I was like, heck yeah, let's go. <laughs> I didn't know this could exist. No one's holding me accountable anymore. Fantastic. Let's go. And, and that accountability was important. That accountability was something that later on in life I would realize was working for me. It was harsh at the time. I rejected it. I was like, am I never going to be good enough? Like, fine, I'll do it. You know, but secretly I'm rebelling inside. But that accountability would serve in my recovery later. And as I, you know, when I went to college, so much of all of that dysfunctional, emotional, and mental body started to now reveal itself in all these different obscure situations that I didn't know what to do with. I wasn't clear about where I wanted to go in life. I had a belief that I was stupid. I also had a belief that I wasn't good enough and that I had to get the attention of every man that walked by or otherwise I wasn't pretty. I wasn't lovable, I wasn't wanted. And so I would go through, I was a serial dater who had no idea that codependency was even existed. (laughs) I was like, love me, love me, love me, love me. (laughs) Why aren't you loving me? (laughs) Oh my God, you didn't call me. My life is over. (laughs) Like, it was like, yep. It's like, ah. And so that entire lack of attention to my studies, too much attention to my relationships, in fact, made me a relationship expert by the time I was 29. But it also left me in states of confusion about my life path. I didn't have a normal life path. I didn't have somebody that would say, hey, you're not designed for nine to five. And this is why it may feel like you're failing everything. You're designed for entrepreneurship. You're designed to be a creator. You're designed to give birth to things that most people aren't giving birth to. And here's a way that it's going to feel so that you don't feel so alone and you don't feel so weird. And so having to go through that process in my 20s was like constant fighting. What I'm supposed to do, but what I really want to do. But what I'm supposed to do, but what I really want to do. And in the middle of that, alcohol. (laughs) I don't like the feeling, but what I do like the feeling of is when I drink, suddenly I could be the parts of myself that I was rejecting. (laughs) And I like that. 
I like that so much that I would deal with the consequence. I would, it was worth it to me back then to say the things that I probably shouldn't have said to my boyfriends at the time because I couldn't say them when I was conscious and sober because I was too afraid. But when I had the alcohol, I was like, let it rip. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, I'm emotionally depleted. What's happening? And why is it? And so it was the perpetual cycle of that was like my outlet for expressing myself. And it was always that, what I could find to actually feel expressed. And it was alcohol for the longest time, not realizing that I was coping with the deeper matters of not belonging and not feeling good enough and thinking that I have to prove myself and not giving myself the opportunity to go my own path. It was this constant inner conflict. So whether it was food or escaping, my, my therapist once said, I don't know how to classify your addiction because they don't have a term for it yet. But I would say that you have a behavioral addiction of escape. And here's how you do it. And I was like, that's a thing, but that's not cocaine. Like, <laughs> that's not coke. <laughs> what do you mean I have an addiction? And I remember somebody uh, who was maybe 15 years sober and a, and a really intricate part of AA told me when I was 22, he's like, you're an addict and here's how. Da -da 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 -da. It would take me three years later to be like, okay, maybe he's onto something. <laughs> uh, I don't get up and drink. I don't get up and drink. That's not what I do. I don't get up and drink. Alcoholics get up and drink, right? <laughs> so it would become all these different layered processes. And then I would have to rewrite the story of like, see, I went a whole year without drinking, not realizing that I had thrown the addiction somewhere else. I, I didn't realize I threw it into my relationship. And 90% of my thoughts that I ruminated on were about how to make this relationship work. Like, no, that, that's that's 100% an addictive pathway. That's totally, now I'm just addicted to my relationship. <laughs> so yep. it, was, it was having to do that. So that manifested in all the way up until my ex-fiance, eight years, oh my God, it's eight or nine years ago. But that was, that was it. I had found the one. And I was running the same path where we were both codependents with each other. And he left. And, and when he left, it was like reality broke. It was exactly what it, it was enough heartache. You remember going back to childhood, like I just needed to hurt enough. It was enough heartache for me to spin out. And I didn't have the tools at the time. So I went into a, su a suicidal depression. And I was like, I don't like this. I don't like the life and I want the pain to stop. And so it was at the bottom of that like, well, you got to change or choose out like this. This has got to be it because this isn't working. And then that entire summer was a revelation one by one. Like, oh, my God, are you noticing yourself right now? Are you understanding what thoughts are going through your head? Do you understand that this isn't normal? Your thoughts are not working. <laughs> All of this isn't working. You just went to a suicidal depression because somebody left you. What's going on here? This isn't working. And so that was what brought me into ADHD, the meetup group that I went to. And there was the therapist who had also been 
um, a recovery. Something about ADHD and addiction and something about depression and addiction. Like they're, they're all kind of circulate together with like, I'm not connected. I'm not sure who I am. And all of these things don't work. So it's the habits, it's the routine habits. And in that moment was the first time that I had actually become aware of myself, consciously watching myself. And for the last eight years, I've been watching myself and meeting every pattern and every coping device and every defense mechanism and watching the mind drop into nobody loves me and they all hate me and I need to go away because I'm worthless and going, hold on, hold on. No, we're not doing that anymore. You get to feel differently one by one and changing the habits, meeting the confrontation of that moment where I'm just like, I can't deal with life right now. And I want to reach for the bottle and I don't. And instead I go for a walk. And I really, really want to reach for the bottle. Instead, I call a friend. And then it wasn't the bottle. It was the chocolate cake. It was it was the, the chips. <laughs> it was this. I'm like, Wait, it's not the bottle. But it's not something good for me either. And that shit is messing with my stomach. And that's why you feel cloudy for the next three days, Jamie. Not working either. So I was like, ah, 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 shutting all of the doors, but also simultaneously creating self-love routine and self-compassion and tons of grace and bringing myself back to faith and bringing myself into a place of purpose and, and getting that it's in, in service that I would feel even more motivation to confront those patterns and to break them and to celebrate the breaking just one by one. Mm -hmm. So it's it, 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 to go back to your question in the most long-winded, wonderful, expressed way, because I don't apologize for it anymore. <laughs> Yay. Is, is, is to really say that it was that bottom where I had the choice to say, keep going this direction. And really actually we're kind of done with this direction because I don't even want to be here anymore or change. And when you change, this has got to be it. It's got to be a decision. And it was decision. And it took seven years to uproot all of the addictive pathways. It wasn't just, it was like you said, I'm a newbie. Cause it was like, I had to, I had to re-understand addiction. I had to re-educate myself on the mind-body connection and understand how it was that these pathways run and oh my God, I'm not the only one. Oh my God, we're all writing addiction patterns out here. Why is it that we're only talking about the ones with substances? What do you call social media? What do you call Netflix? What do you call? We're all in a dopamine centered society. Oh my God, we got to talk about this. Oh, <laughs> <gasps> uh, and it's so true. I mean, for me, I think it was drugs and alcohol when I, like you said, right, that suicidal depression that was my bottom, right? I was sitting on the floor with a bottle of pills and I'm like, I don't want to carry on down this path anymore because I continue to hurt people. I don't mean to. My intentions are always good. Like when I would tell people I'm done, I don't want to black out anymore, right? I, I meant it. Like I was sincere about it. But then of course you feel like crap the next day and well, it's easier to pick up the bottle and not feel anymore than it was to feel those emotions. And I always share that 
I started drinking because of my inability to handle my emotions in the first place. I started eating, right, because of that, those exact same reasons. And I think for me, the drugs and alcohol and giving those up, you know, in June 2012, that was the that was the start of something truly amazing. And my head started to clear up. It took a little while, right? And like it, we were talking about emotions. Like I cried probably more than I had my entire life in my first one to two years of early sobriety. And I just remember how uncomfortable it was, right? And how it's like, oh, what is this wet stuff coming out of my face right now? Because I don't like it. And my go-to has always been to something else. And the more I work on my recovery, the more I work, like you talked about it, belief systems, it's huge, right? Two people can have the exact same goal. They can take the exact same steps, but it's the person who believes in their ability to achieve that, that is going to be successful. And I never had those beliefs. Like anytime I would try something new and it started to go wrong, those voices in my head were saying, Tamar, who do you think you are? Like, why would you start a podcast? Who's going to listen to that? Who's going to want to be a guest, right? Like, uh, and it's crazy because if you really ask yourself, is this thought that I'm thinking true? I bet you more often than not, you can answer no. Like there's no evidence to back it up, right? Nobody's actually told you. Typically it's when like the codependency, what I'm really learning about right now, it's because we're assuming that they're thinking that. So we've told them, this is what all those people are thinking, but it's interesting as we start to pull the layers off, right? And the things we do in early recovery to build that foundation that now it's like, okay, let's see what else we got here, right? And it's it's freeing, like it's empowering. It was It's cool to be able to say, because health is always, like I started this podcast as a health, right? Reclaiming control over my health while traveling for business. And I did really well. Again, I was accountable, but I was... I've been playing around with things and what works, you know, intuitive eating, it, it hasn't worked for me last year. I've had to look at it a little bit different because it would be the same thing as somebody saying, well, you can drink as much as you want. Just stop before you get drunk. Well, easy to say, but that is my certain, well, all beverages when it comes to alcohol are my numbing coping mechanisms, right? So now I've had to take a look at what foods do that to me as well. So it's been an interesting journey. But, you know, for me, I think building that foundation and recovery and doing certain habits, almost boring them until they became my own. Like I hate the, I hate the term fake it till you make it because it's like, no, <laughs> borrow someone's habits, right? See who has what you want. See who has what they want borrow what they're doing until they become so much a part of your life that you don't even have to think about it. So what did that journey look like for you? And how did you build that foundation? Because I know we're still all doing it, right? We talk about resilience. So no, totally. Everything that you just said right there to, to me translates as practice. Yeah. That's it's practice. It was practice over progress. Yeah. So I became a practitioner, whatever it was, I became a practitioner and I had to give myself rules. No beating yourself up if you fall down because you're going to do it again. <laughs> um, you're human. And um, oh, yeah, you're human. And if you didn't know, the person next to you is also human. So they make mistakes just like you do. Okay. So it was this constant walk of grace. And it continues to be a walk of grace because the higher I go in my goals, those conversations some of them still come up to meet me. And that's important too, because 
it's the navigation process itself that became important. It wasn't even like how I handled the goal or how I handled the coping mechanism. It was navigating as a whole, how I treated the navigation. Because if I was in resistance to what I was looking at, I was just going to keep avoiding it and numbing it. So I had to teach myself how to be with my resistance. I had to teach myself how to find out something that typically I would feel ashamed for and go, okay, that's an old program talking to you right now, Jamie. This is, this is not actually the truth. Okay. If you own this and you just take responsibility for it, guess what? You don't have to do it anymore. You'll do something different next time. So was this inner conversation, this perpetual conversation with myself between calling, like you said, calling it out and being like, this is not true. It, this, this is true. Let's, let's, let's make this reality, the one that you go to. So it's practicing, giving myself grace, constantly bringing myself back to the fact that I'm human and giving myself room to purposefully intentionally bring my attention to the way that I want my life to look constantly constantly bring it was a commitment I had, I had a friend that calls it a devotion and and i think that's something that i'm taking on in my life right now because the way that he was expressing he's like you're in devotion to your spiritual life and i'm like that that sounds that sounds way more like meaningful ah, i'm in i'm in devotion to my growth i'm in devotion to my goals i'm in devotion because like to be a devotee to something is to alleviate yourself from the need to do it perfectly and to me, a devotion doesn't draw attention to any expectations. It's a lifetime devotion. A devotion allows me to be able to open up to all the things that I'm afraid to tell myself because of what they might mean when I find out. You know, so that was important. And also immersing myself in the work. I have not stopped immersing myself in the work since I started because this world is not going to purposefully put me in the place that I want to be. The world is full of distractions and people are being people. And if I let myself be in my automatic, I'm going to be complacent. I'm going to be distracted. I'm going to then in my distraction, show myself how incapable I am and feed myself a story of inadequacy or see you, you couldn't do it. And I'm like, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. <laughs> so wherever it was that growth led me to, I would immerse myself because I knew that to overcome and to rewrite the programs that built all of my dysfunction, I had to. At one point it was like, well, you get to do this. And I'm like, no, I must do this. I must be devoted to my mind. I must be devoted to emotional wellness. I must be devoted to good nutrition. I must be devoted to my practices. I must be. And it almost became like a demand upon my greatness. I had to demand my own success from myself because I know that that's what I need. I needed that accountability that when I went to college and started my like little pathway of just like <laughs> running, <laughs> I lacked accountability. All the accountability that I saw that broke me as a kid is actually 
in my recovery, what worked. All the accountability that I needed on myself from others. So I have the most incredible support system. I was very intentional about who I surrounded myself with. And the unfortunate part of having to let go of some people in the process. And now I have such an incredible support system. And I think that that's mandatory. I think it's absolutely mandatory that our environment match our goals. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. It does matter who you surround yourself with. And I found that out too, right? I mean, the, the more I grow, the more that I evolve, I look for people, like I said, somebody shared this on a podcast interview recently that I did is he didn't look for people who had what he wants. He looks for people who have what they want. And I was like, Ooh, that's good. Right. Because it's not necessarily having it yet, but is the person that you're thinking, wow, they're doing amazing things. Like I want what they have, like what they want. Right. Because then you, you encourage each other. So it does matter. And I wanted to touch on mindset, right. Is that so many people that I work with, they think that mindset is just wanting to learn new things, right? Wanting to grow. Mm -hmm. But then when you really dig into what is having a growth mindset, it's really simply the ability to try something new, knowing that it may not work out. And if you are still willing to do that, right? Amazing things happen, right? It's like, okay, well, that didn't work out very well. I know what not to do now, right? And I always, I talk to people about that because they think they have this growth mindset And when it becomes clear to them why they continue to stop moving forward in their lives, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting the reaction that I get, but you know, I know we're running out of time here and, you know, just to let everybody know, Jamie's just agreed to be part of the rise beyond recovery summit, which I actually have not announced yet. So (laughs) you get to hear it now. Um, So we'll dig more into this kind of stuff, but, you know, focusing on, I think people focus on the outcome too much, right? It's, I have a vision. I have a very clear vision of what I want to achieve in my life, who I want to be, but I have learned to celebrate the process, celebrate the daily wins because that gives you encouragement, motivation, right? So can you kind of talk about that and like the mind body connection and breaking these limitations? Because I think we are truly capable of much more than we think. You know, we just, oh, it's celebrating the journey because it's an amazing one. Oh, we have to. In fact, the celebration is more than just a suggestion. It's actually the way that the brain will interpret movement. Celebration is a translation for good things happening, which equals brain wanting more of the good things. And the only way, and I know uh, Andrew Humerman talks about this all the time. And a lot of the research that he's done, I encourage people to go look at that research, talking about the pathways of how we understand that we are growing, how the brain will literally interpret there's growth happening is by measurement of progress. If we see progress and we can act, and I say see progress because we can be progressing and not see it. So if we see, and there's a perception of progress there's growth being measured. The brain goes, well done. You're doing a good job. Let's encourage more neural pathways that are in favor of the actions and the habits that are moving in this 
in this realm here. And so that right there, if I'm not celebrating, and I mean every little step, then I'm not giving my brain, and I'm talking about not the mind, but the brain, because if the mind is drawing the perspective, the brain is following the directions of the perspective. And so if my mind goes, look at the wins, look at the progress, look at how you did this differently. Wow, we are such a different place that we were a year ago. Oh my goodness, look at how you're not the same person. Look at how you chose to eat the oat milk instead of the dairy. And look at how you chose to like eat the uh, eat this instead of that. And look at how you chose to walk instead of pick up the bottle. And look at how, like, wow, we're noticing ourselves doing this. It's an it's a realm of progress. It's a realm that is including a mindset of progress. Like the mindset of growth needs to have the mindset of progress, which means that I have an active understanding of my measurement and my difference. So that means I am actively and consciously drawing attention to all of the things that I do differently on a day-to-day basis, on a week-to basis, on a yearly basis. And eventually what's going to happen is that my attention is going to become so aware. I'll see it in the moment that it's happening. And if I get in the moment, guess what I get? A different choice. And it's all about the different choice. And so I'm training. I love that you said the celebration because it's such a perfected model. And I don't mean like perfected in perfection in the way we deliver it, but a perfected model, especially how science has agreed and given us literally brain data to to match the fact that our brain is looking for, we like this, do more of that. That's literally what fed the addiction pathway. So like when I said that like people who are resilient about their addictions can also be resilient about their progress when they change what map they're using, because we can be like rigorous in the direction of our growth as much as we were rigorous in the direction of our sabotage. <laughs> so it, when I give my brain these, these new things to look at and to want and to grow these new neural pathways, that's going to now teach my body, literally my neurology, my entire neurology, a new way of responding. And so this is important because now my mind is giving my body new directions. And in that process, the body is going to tell me, but I thought that you said we're not good enough, but I thought that you said that we shouldn't be in this environment, but I thought that you said we shouldn't risk because now we're going to get rejected. Why are you putting me here? So that's the healing process in the middle. The healing process is making sure that as my mind is drawing this new picture of my life and it's telling my brain, hey, brain, this is what we're we're looking for. We're looking for how we did a good job. We're looking for how we grew. We're looking for how we did it different. Seriously, brain, start looking for this stuff. Look at how good men exist out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look for, because we really want that. Let's look for how we're actually smart. Okay. Okay, brain. Brain goes, all right, mine. We're going to look for this. The body, because it has all this stored trauma is going to start going up and going, uh, but that's not, that's not the thing that, that, that's not what it is. And so it's a process of drawing the map, 
that's telling the brain, that's telling the body what we're up to. And then as the body brings up the trauma response, it brings up the memory of, hey, this doesn't make sense. I can look at what the body is revealing and I can go, oh, tell me more. Tell me where that came from. Why do you believe that? Why are we triggered in this environment right now? Why am I shaking? Why do I have this pressure in my chest? And I can start to listen to the messages of my body instead of being overwhelmed by them and then wanting to turn them off or shut them down or see that they're like, something's wrong here. It's like, no, 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 no. This is perfect. Listen, be with the uncomfortable experience of it because now the body needs a way to redesign what it's experiencing. And so that, what, what does that look like? It looks like, well, there's probably going to be some emotion there that hasn't been felt yet. Like you said, like the first two years of recovery is like, holy shit, this is so much. Am I doing something wrong here? Am I falling apart because I've never done this before? I must be broken. It's like, no, there's stored emotions and we got to feel them. Sometimes there's going to be anger. Sometimes there's going to be a, a, a chemical imbalance because I was so angry and repressed for such a long time that I made an imbalance in my organs. And so sometimes it's going, the, the, you're going to have like a, a week of IBS and you're going to think, oh my God, it's a physical issue. And it's like, no, we're drawing attention in your body because you're, you're purposely working on this stuff. Your body's telling you how it rebels. Your body's telling you how it resists. And so it's getting to know that process so that I don't make wrong my experience because the body is literally just revealing to me how we've practiced for such a long time. Mm -hmm. So it's getting, it's understanding how the mind is telling the brain is telling the body and then being able to learn how the body is revealing what it was programmed with before. And then doing that whole cycle over and over. And that's the navigation. That's the navigation. (laughs) Do it over and over and over again and becoming a practitioner of it so that I'm not sitting there freaking out when my body is like, <laughs> we want to feel small. And you're like, no, we're here to feel big. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that doesn't make any sense. I can feel big. Okay. Sure. I'll feel big because I sat there and I practice it every day now. Yeah. I practice the bigness every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I can totally relate. And that's one thing I've been working on recently, right? We were talking a bit before there's stuff I'm dealing with in my life today that I've never had to experience. And so there's days I'm angry, I'm sad. And, you know, the other day I was sitting on the couch and I'm thinking, you know, my all of a sudden I had this craving for ice cream, right? And I'm trying to, you know, lead a more healthy life. And when I sat in that emotion for a second, I'm like, okay, why am I feeling this? It's like, okay, I'm sad right now. You know what I need? I need some connection. I need a hug or something like that. And so instead of going out and getting the ice cream, which I have done in the past, because I'm like, well, it won't hurt. I'll just have half and then I have the rest of it later. I called a friend, right? Because my fiance was not available. And I'm like, you know what? It's and it's, It took all the power out of it. She's like, you know, how are you? And I said, not good right now. Like, I'm feeling like going and getting some ice cream, but I'm actually just sad. Like, I'm feeling an emotion here. And we talked about it and it feels so good it doesn't always happen, right? Sometimes that, you know, it's the old voices that are like, come on, it's only one night. Like, it's not going to be a biggie. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's, I think it's, it's 
fun to work through this stuff because even when times are dark, I can always see the light, right? I've built that resilience from all the work that I've done throughout the last 10 years. And there's no part of me anymore that wants to drown in alcohol or drugs. Like just, it doesn't even occur to me, right? Now, food, on the other hand, is something, you know, I'm a newcomer kind of thing. But so, um, you know, I I want to just keep going. But <laughs> you have, let's talk quickly. And so people just have to come and catch you at the summit because we're going to get into a little bit more of all this stuff there. But you have a course called The Truth serum for the soul. You work with women. So can you talk a bit about that and how people can get a hold of you if they want to learn more about what you do? Absolutely. Well, my website is jamiestarcrawford.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, jamiestarcrawford. It's a handle for it. And um, this this course um, addresses how it is that we're navigating life in either a functional or dysfunctional way. It addresses the root system of transformation work and how it is that we can progress from one situation to another and not a very linear way, but a holistic way. How can I meet any version of myself with grace? How can I meet any version of life and navigate through it? And so having to sit there and go back to be like, oh, this is how I learned to recognize my patterns and my cycles. This is how I learn what has been running me my whole life. Got it. So it's this beautiful process, this program, this course, this journey that you take. It's it's women with other women. And it is like the most healing thing ever that in the space of other women, when we express, it's like we're seen and heard. It's like we're seen and heard and like she gets me. And what what has been like such a like, oh, I never stop being in awe of this is that the groups that find each other are perfect mirrors, are perfect mirrors. And it's like the stories that gets that get shared is like, wow, I'm not the only one. And she's literally describing my life. <laughs> and then but, you know, it's like it's OK, I feel seen and I feel heard. But what do we do? And so what we talk about in that journey is how we got there. It, we talk about the structure of the mind and how it impacts the body and how we do this automatic thing in life and how to interrupt it, how to interrupt it and how to do something different and how to build those benefit, the beneficial pathways, how to look at my routine and my habit and how to navigate any moment of life. And, and that's the foundation. So I actually, I have three levels of this course, but the foundation is building a relationship back up with yourself. <laughs> so that course is called true serum for the soul. It's currently 10 weeks. There's a chance that I might make it 12 weeks just to get a more deep integrational experience of it. But I think the next time I'm going to offer that course is uh, some probably like halfway through March. So that's the next time that somebody could join this course, but I would follow me on Instagram, uh, go to my website, read up a little bit about the program, look at some of the testimonials and ask any questions. I'm always available for questions. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and thank you so much for being on the show. And I can't wait for people to see you in the summit as well. So we'll get all those links out and we'll have all the links to connect with you. But I so appreciate you spending the time today to chat with me. Me too, tomorrow. I'm so excited for the summit. Like I know you're like, oh, you just announced it, but I'm like, ah! <laughs> I can't wait for people to learn about this. It's like, oh, so excited.
going to be revolutionary. So much fun connecting with people in recovery. I hope you enjoyed that interview. And if you want to come hear more of Jamie, check it out at the summit, www.risebeyondrecovery.ca. And the best part is that $15 of every ticket sold, which is only 25 bucks, gets donated to Touched by Addiction. It's going to help somebody in need get into long-term treatment. So make sure you share the link out with your friends. Come join us. If you don't have the 25 bucks, that is totally okay. You can join the summit for absolutely free. Scroll down a little bit further on the page. Just enter your name, email, and you will be sent the information on how you can come check it out for five days over 25 amazing speakers, Jamie included, and come learn about some tips and strategies on how you can enhance your recovery as well. I'll see you there. I have had the privilege to walk alongside of many people who have built their foundation and further enhanced their recovery. But unfortunately, there are still so many people who are still suffering that need our help. The Road Beyond Recovery podcast is a proud sponsor of Touched by Addiction. Addiction thrives in isolation and darkness. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. So if you or someone you know has been affected by addiction, there is help. At Touched by Addiction, we are dedicated to exposing addiction and ending the plague. Be that beacon of hope and light that so many desperately need. Each t-shirt or sweater you buy helps to get a struggling addict off the streets and into a year-long addiction treatment program. If you want to support the movement, go to www.touchedbyaddiction.com.